we all have a opportunity to contribute to that solution. And it starts with you. You know, mm-hmm. you don't, it starts with you listening to the people around you, your grocery store, like everybody you interact with, just do more listening. I, I guarantee if everybody in this chat, you and me, were just to say, you know what, I'm not going to talk today. I'm just going to listen. You will notice so much more in the world. You'll become more self-aware with how you are positioned and how people respond to you or react to you without you saying anything. And you mm-hmm. really start to open up more observation in the world just by shutting the hell up for a little bit. So I, I think a lot of us just need to calm down, shut up, and listen more. Welcome so much to another Gamers Who Care podcast. Tonight we have a very special podcast here. The amazing Dan Mitri is with us. And uh, many of you just know him for being an amazing community manager for titles like Battlefield. But he's so much more. He's a true artist. And uh, I'm I'm so I'm so glad he decided with me together to do something different today because we talk about the creative mind and everything which comes basically with it. Uh, thank you so much for joining me here, Dan. How are you doing today? Good, very good. Thank you for having me. I've been excited about this. You know, you hit me up a little while ago and you're like, let's talk about creative things. Like, oh, we could talk all day about creative things. So I'm <laughs> super so. stoked to be on. Oh, hey, look at that. Danny on PCs here. Nice. Yeah, welcome you on chat. Uh, guys, as always, if you have any questions, just bring them to the chat. We we will pick them. Um, but I would really like to jump right into there with you, Dan, because I know, you know, time is uh, time is not always in my favor. So we need no, to get the most. Not. The it's most getting late over there in Germany. Right, right. Yeah, it's okay still. I can be awake. I'm allowed to be awake still. <laughs> You're an adult. You can, you can do whatever you want. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, I, was, I was thinking about... Because I mean, obviously, I did my research, and um, you have you have quite something, you know, uh, in LinkedIn. You know, you were community managers on on very games. You're in there now for almost how long are you now in the gaming industry? When did you start as a QA tester? Basically, well, that was the first thing. I'm coming up on 20 years now. 20 years now, yep. so this is quite some time. Yeah, and I thought maybe to um, to get a good view on how you get started into that, maybe we can start with when you came to LA, you wanted to start a career as a musician, right? And then you kind of got by accident into the gaming industry. Um, can you tell us about this phase in your life? Sure. Yeah. I mean, so I started off technically. I started off in the game industry in retail, like I was working at GameStop uh, through high school and worked myself up to management. And I went through like community college, and I'm like you know what, this whole business management degree, I don't care about. It's so general. It's it's really not where I want to go. And I actually applied to go to Art Institute uh, out in Vegas. So I was living in Vegas at the time. And unfortunately, I uh, couldn't afford it. Like I came from a very impoverished family um, and college isn't necessarily in the books. Uh, mm-hmm. So I saved up. Uh, through working through summers and uh, worked with my dad a little bit and uh, went to Musicians Institute out in Los Angeles where I was studying audio engineering. Uh, I've always had a love for music and, and playing music. So I had to get myself out of a more uh, service industry-based city, which is Vegas, and into entertainment uh, where creativity is much more um, embedded in you know the economy out there because of the different jobs. Well, 
uh, I was putting myself through school and I was eating hot dogs and ramen, making like seven fifty US dollars an hour. And I said, I can't do this. Like I'm, I'm literally starving here. Uh, so I picked up a gig as a QA tester, making nine fifty an hour, uh, <laughs> but so much better than you know shucking guitars around at Guitar Center when I was at at the time. Uh, and that was my first official foot into uh, the gaming industry door, and, and here I am, about almost twenty years later. It's so funny. It's not the first time I hear that story. Yeah, somebody is starting his career as a QA test and then actually really working um, themselves up. Uh, even developers, game developers now also at Ubisoft, I know. Um, but I, th I think this was also more like 20 years ago was a different time, right? Yeah, yeah, it really um, was, yeah. If you, if you think back, I actually want to ask that later, but we're already there. Um If you think, if you compare that time to this time, working as a community manager, for example, wasn't it like so much different? Like in point of communication tools, for example, like social media. I mean, it's today a completely different thing. Like if you look back even 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, well, I'd say fundamentally nothing's changed. Um, even before the time of internet and technology, there have been communities that gather around certain ideas and concepts and things that everybody's passionate about. You know, we have common ground. Um, and then within those communities are different sort of notable personalities and different people sort of come out of the woodwork. Um, and a lot of the time, those people need to be managed in terms of where we want this group to go and how we want it to grow. Uh, and, you know, there's different types of people that want leadership or they want to support it or they just want to go along for the ride. So that goes the test of time, right? Like all the way back to caveman Neanderthalic days, we always had a sense of community and belongingness. Well, 20 years ago, yes, bring in the digital age, right? Internet's really like cranking out at this time. Um, and the landscape was different. That was really the only thing that was different. Um, the where we congregated was different. Back 20 years ago, we had MySpace, uh, LiveJournal, you know, some of these MySpace. old, yeah, some of these old early social networks. Mm -hmm. And now, 20 years later, we have so many different channels for the way we want to communicate with each other. Um, and I think it's just so much more pointed in what we get out of it. You have Reddit, which is power of the people. We have Discord, which is direct, you know, direct to player. Um, then you have lot wider, larger channels like Twitter and Instagram that hits millions of people. So it's just different tools in which we use to communicate, and it's going to continue evolving. I want to I'm excited to see what it's going to be like 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. Are you personally even using social media, or is it for you just an instrument for communication within, like, working? Like I mean, I it started? takes a lot of time, right? I mean, no, I mean, I mean now, like, in general, I'm, I feel like... Spending too much time on social media, you know, can kind of be dislating. Um, and how, how do you use it? Like, do you only use it now for, for your work or? I don't use social media nearly as much as I want to say some of my counterparts or some of my friends and colleagues. Um, I don't use it like it's intended necessarily. Um, I'm not in there all day long. You know, I'm not in there interacting with people, posting updates, because that's not what I want out of social media anymore. Me, as I get older and I get busier and I'm on social media through work and I direct people to utilize social media through content and engagement, um, I spend less time on Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, uh, mm -hmm. because any of my extra time I'm spending towards creativity. 
And that's where I really see value in my life. Now, my creativity, if people want to talk about that, that's a great byproduct. And yes, I think social media allows me to get more exposure. And I'm glad that I've used social media because I've sold every piece of art, everything that I've done through social media. It's a great exposure tool. So I, mm-hmm. it would be stupid for me to walk away completely because in 2022, this is how we discover new art, new thinking. We share mm-hmm. philosophy that way and we, connect, we stay connected to our friends and family that way. Yeah, yeah that's very true. Um, how, how does creating like music, I mean, you're creating music. I don't know, guys, if you even know that. What are you um, creating? You're creating music. You're creating a comic book, I think, right? You're making knives. Yeah, so uh, I Drawing? can't, oh God, I, I can't just pick one project. Like I've realized I am a man of many talents. And because of those many talents, um, I have to progress each one of those. It's a little bit of creative ADD. I get a little bored sometimes when I'm only just working on, say, knives, which is mm-hmm. a very fulfilling engineering type of creativity. It's very precise. It's very You have to do things specifically or you kind of screw it up um, within region. There's, you know, there, there's certain margins that you can play around with. But I get bored with it after a weekend of just doing knives. So then I dive into my comic book world. And that's mm-hmm. where I'm writing. I'm uh, really expressing myself through story and drawing these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and that takes up a lot of time too. And then I'll get bored. You know, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> like, now I need to go work. You're a very me. restless person, right? I don't know how I do it. Um, and I try to keep my stimulants to a low. I drink a lot of coffee though. A lot of coffee. That's the only way I can do it. <laughs> I have coffee, coffee keeps, cup on my fucking keeps, shirt here. But uh, us going. <laughs> um, no, I do a lot of different things. And the reason why I do it is because I'm a multifaceted person that needs multiple avenues to express myself. And there's no single way to express yourself. Well, so the bigger question is really here, how does that, um, all these creative stuff, like how does it affect your life and is reflected in your work maybe even? Is there, are you connecting these things? Um, is it helpful for you? How does it help you? It does. You know, my personal journey of uh, creativity is one that's a relationship with the tools or the projects that I use to manifest myself, and my emotions. And I work a lot of my own uh, neuroses out through art, um, how I react to the world, how I approach the world. And I really base myself in self-awareness, um, really understanding my position in a situation in the world and reacting appropriately uh, based off of other people's reactions or based off of their emotions and where they're at. Um, there's always there's always an underlying reason why someone reacts the way they do. And I don't like to react in a negative way, right? Um, so I take a lot of what I work on myself in my creative endeavors over to work in a professional setting. And I use that to lead people. People are, especially in, in video games, video games and business is still human connection, especially in community. So being self-aware, being diligent in using the right emotions and and reacting the right way makes for a better leader and an inspiring leader. And a lot of the time, my teams don't know what to do. They don't know how to react. They're young. Um, They're still learning how to uh, navigate a professional corporate environment or even just handle their own emotions. So I need to be someone who's who's calm, collected, pulled together, if I expect my team to eventually get there. So they are very much linked together. 
Um, do you see communication as an art form? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely it is. Um, communication is inherent in all of us, but communicating in a way that draws the intended um, the intended topic or objective out in a concise way where everybody is satisfied and they're not negatively impacted or they're not put down for their views or their opinions is a very strong trait. So diplomacy is important. Diplomacy isn't necessarily something that's inherent. That, that's something that's taught and learned. So communication is an art form. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. What about listening then? Like, I mean, these two go, belong together, right? Yes. Communication li is listening. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, how can you communicate with anybody if you're not truly listening to them? Mm -hmm. um, goes for relationships, right? Friendships, romantic, family, whatever it may be, colleagues at work. That's the first rule in good communication is listening intently and listening to the value that someone's telling you um, and then reacting appropriately to that. Sometimes people don't even want an advice or even to be talked to. They just want to be listened to. So I, I think that's the first golden rule. Throw on your good ears. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, I was thinking about like if we are living right now kind of in an age where we need to learn exactly that, like um, listening is something or good communication is something nobody is really teaching you, right? Yeah. So it's either something... Um, You have the luxury to pick it up through your work, for example, right? Or you have a good environment around you. Uh, I just hope like this is something we as in a society get better eventually in listening and communication. It would help a lot, I feel. Well, I mean, it doesn't come down. It comes down to the individual, right? We all have a opportunity to contribute to that solution. And it starts with you. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't, it starts with you listening to the people around you. Your grocery store, like everybody you interact with, just do more listening. I, I guarantee if everybody in this chat, you and me, were just to say, you know what, I'm not going to talk today. I'm just going to listen. You will notice so much more in the world. You'll become more self-aware with how you are positioned and how people respond to you or react to you without you saying anything. <laughs> you really start to open up more observation in the world just by shutting the hell up for a little bit. So I, I think a lot of us just need to calm down, shut up, and listen more. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's fine that you say that. I did that two days ago on a on a birthday, but everyone was so drunk, and I just try not to talk and just to listen. And I realized on some point that whoever I talked to, these they were talking to themselves. Like I, I just brought up a topic, and they started talking and reflecting their judgment and their opinion somehow you know it was very interesting and you can learn a lot from that also about yourself because i mean in the way we all egos you know oh big time i think that you nailed it right there when you start listening more and especially in a party situation i see this all the time the way people talk is very self-centered and the way they phrase sentences mm -hmm. it's like oh hey look at me even though they may be very subtle about it you're like i know what you're doing here you're trying to direct everything back at you Mm -hmm. um, and that's okay. You know, it's kind of the stroke of the ego. They're kind of putting themselves out there to see how other people will react. It's, you know, we all want to be uh, accepted. We all want to be mm -hmm. recognized for the things that we like. And this clap on the back. Exactly. <laughs> right? It's self-image. Um, yeah. And I was thinking about that the other day because I write, I write every morning. When I wake up, 
I, I write what I call morning pages. It's about mm-hmm. two to three pages of me getting whatever's in my mind out. It's very meditative and it helps me set up myself for the day where I get all that bullshit I've been dealing with behind me and focus mm-hmm. on what I need to get done. And one of the things I was thinking about and writing about the other day was how my self-image is something that I project on other people through conversation, through my art, and it may not be perceived the way that I want it to be perceived. So let me give you an example. Sometimes I feel like a Chris Hemsworth inside, you know, this manly guy. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm macho. Like I've got all my <laughs> stuff together. I'm confident. Hey, you're a good looking man. Oh, maybe not as buff, but sometimes I feel like a Chris, Chris Hemsworth. And as I go into social situations, I'll wear my chest high, you know, and kind of stand up and like I have all the confidence in the world. That's not how people necessarily perceive me. What they perceive me is, is a Paul Rudd, you know, like the good guy, you know, everybody's Mm -hmm. the soft, caring, like that's how it's being perceived. So I was thinking about that contrast of how internally I may be want to be perceived a certain way and I may act that way, but it actually comes out in a different way to other people. And it's because they have different life experiences. They're responding to me in a different way. And honestly, I'd rather be a Paul Rudd than Chris Hemsworth any day. He's funnier anyways. <laughs> I just asked myself what's more important, the way you make yourself feel or the way you, people see you. Because yeah. in the end, I mean, if this is like something you feel, like I feel like a whoever you want to feel like, um, I mean, that's that's a good thing, right? It doesn't even matter what other people think about or see in you because they are reflecting something from themselves, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think so. But there's also the unspoken that we all feel. You know, if you're really listening more and you're more self-aware, you become more intuitive. And that Mm -hmm. intuition is the ability to pick up on energy. Now, you exude energy. If you're feeling good inside, you don't even have to say anything. You could feel that on Mm -hmm. someone else like, oh, I could feel a good vibe from that person. And you you felt it, right? Everybody in this chat has felt being around someone that you really feel comfortable with. Like, I like that person. Mm-hmm. It's because they are good inside. They feel good inside as well. And that's exuding outward. And so we have to work on ourselves. It starts with us if we want the world to change and put out good energy. And then receive mm-hmm. the good energy around you. And I know, you know, we can t- we can even go down further of uh, the the consortium around you, the people that you congregate with, really does shape who you are. And that's why it's important to keep good people in your life, people that are positive and who encourage you. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, like you said, you have like this routine of writing. Do you have any other routines you practice in your life that helps you to find your balance or yeah, I do get out of more your day. Yeah. Um, so outside of the, the writing in the morning, um, I make sure I exercise. Exercise really gets uh, your brain going, as it re- rebalances your chemistry, eating right as well, being healthy, drinking a lot of water. You know, it's what you intake and how you your physical form is very important. But when it comes to the mind, I meditate daily. And meditation wasn't easy for me when I first started. Um, I had a lot going in my mind all the time. I still, I have a very hyperproductive mind. I'm always thinking about 400 things at once. And that's where my ADD comes into play. That's where I get my OCD. Like I walk around the house, check things five different times and make sure things are perfect. And I have to remind myself, Dan, you're wasting time and this isn't good for you. And that's where the meditation helps me peel everything away and think about how I feel and how I'm going to react going forward. And so I've really been on a journey of balance 
self-care and calmness because it's the times, especially in very difficult times, whether it's work or in a relationship, the calmness helps with everything. And ultimately, like, I want to have just good times because when I'm positive and I feel good, that's, then I can have more energy and I can press more into my creative endeavors. So it's really important to me that I look at my life holistically, mind, body, and soul and work on those things. Oh, that's very inspiring. I think this is uh, something like uh, we all could, you know, be encouraged to do. Um, if you, I feel like, um, I mean, I'm a little bit creative myself and I feel like getting into the creative state is sometimes you can't force it, you can't push it. And like, how do you, how do you do, how do you do it? If you're maybe saying you're not in the best mental state, um, Do you do it to basically go through it? Do you use it? Do you use that energy at all? Or what you're talking about is uh, creative blockage, and yes, uh, every every artist, every creative type, people who are who are inspired or pushing for a creative life. And I'm not talking about just painting. I'm not. I'm not talking about you know sculpting or or drawing. You can still be creative in a professional setting. You know, uh, whether you're a marketer uh, or you're a lawyer, there are creative ways that you can approach work. Um, we're all creative. Creativity is around us. Life is creativity um, and life is art. And we tend to get blocked. And creative blockage comes from the negative things in the past that we haven't dealt with um, or even currently what we're dealing with. It could be time. It could be uh, negative people in our lives that are sucking our time away from us, the good energy away from us. Um, it can be some traumas in the past. You know, like when I was a child, I had an altercation that I, it took me 10, 15 years to get over. And that altercation led to me not expressing myself correctly. And I was afraid to talk about my emotions and then share my emotions, whether it's drawing it on a piece of paper, writing it or singing it. And I realized that I had to get over that and I had to deal with those things if I wanted to creatively open up and open that flow. So I've been reading a book um, by someone called Julia Cameron. I'm going to show, show this to you. Oh, yeah. It's called The Artist's That's... Way. Mm -hmm. And The Artist's Way is a 12-week uh, program that really starts to get you thinking about your creative blockage and where it comes from. Um, and, and allows you to deal with it day over day, week over week, and prioritize your creative health. And so a lot of the exercises that I do week over week, the morning pages, um, I take myself on artist dates. Those are really important. The artist okay. date allows you to say, I'm going to carve out an evening to myself, for myself. I'm just going to go have fun, maybe even in, a, even in a juvenile way. Sometimes I've gone to Target or Walmart, department store, And I pick up a small little Lego set. I come back home, pour myself some whiskey, and I make a Lego set. It allows <laughs> okay. me to feel youthful again, constructive, mm -hmm. and step away from the things that have been bothering me through the week and mm -hmm. pay attention to myself. And I feel mm -hmm. better after that. And honestly, my next day, my next week after that, I'm like, I'm creatively charged. So it's it's Julia Cameron has a way of talking through our <laughs> issues. Huh? Sorry. Whiskey and Lego, good stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is the way to go. <laughs> um, so Julie Cameron has a way of really digging into our hearts and what our creative blockages are. And what I've learned from it is 
I get more out of this as much as I put in. And that, that's really with any creative work, right? And mm-hmm. sometimes I, and I'll, I'll end on this point, um, sometimes I don't want to be creative, and some, but I know I need to. You just have to do the work. If you do the work, if you get out there and you start writing, even though you don't want to, and it's bullshit, you're like, I don't care. I feel, don't feel good today. Exercising that muscle, I guarantee you, creativity will run through you. The universe, if you're open to the universe, the universe will speak through you because the universe wants you to be a vessel for its creativity to manifest something that has never been done before. I'm getting a little hippy dippy, but I've really been on like a creative spiritual journey and I, and I feel great for it. It's changed who I am and how I approach my video game career differently. Tell me about that. How did you approach your, did you make a conscious choice eventually about, um, you know, dealing differently because of that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, everybody has their own catalyst. Um, I've always been a creative person, you know, uh, you know, cause I went, like I said, in my early twenties, I was playing a lot of music and I put myself through, through music school uh, with my father's aid. Um, growing up, I think we all are somewhat creative, but there was a point in my life where I said, I need to pursue creativity 100%. And that was about in my early thirties. I was chasing my career, which was very helpful for me and financially very good for me, but I was dealing with a lot of depression um, through lost relationships, through losing friends, moving 30 times in my life and just like having to start over. And I realized that no single person, no single situation is going to help me as much as I'm going to help myself. And I realized my creativity allows me to hide, so to speak, reset, really connect with myself. And then when I'm when I'm comfortable enough, I could share that with the world. And that's what I'm doing now through music, through my art, through my knives. And people are responding that you know, in, a, in a very positive way. Now, I don't go out and say, oh, I'm, I hope people buy my stuff. Oh, I hope people like this. That's not why I do it. I do it because I need it. I do it because mm-hmm. of my own sanity. Now, there's a byproduct that when you're doing and pursuing your own passion, this divinity in this universe, you become divine in your path. There is a byproduct. Sometimes it's fame. Sometimes it's financial success. Sometimes it's peer recognition. But that should never be your goal. And so mm-hmm. kind of full circle here, I pressed the creativity to deal with my own demons. And I still do. I have a lot of demons and I always will. That's the, that's the battle every day. And I'm fueled by my own negativity to turn that into something positive. That's interesting. And it sounds more like also like a world to take ownership for yourself to take ownership for your own mental health. And um, like you found your way, how to deal with that in your own way. Um, would you say like everyone has a creative art inside? Like is there even like, is there such a thing as being like a true artist or can anyone basically use that? Like we talked in a way about that before. So I'm not, I'm not sure how to. I think everybody, everybody, Everybody can be an artist. Um, you and I were kind of talking about this a little bit over DM before we hopped on on our call mm-hmm. here. Um, I think society has a way of defining an artist in a way that's not realistic, um, especially when it comes to social media. You know, we look at artists as uh, those who are extremely successful, big singers, you know, um, actors and um, 
you know, you know a- anybody who's been uh, so successful that they have the fame and the money and people know who they are. Um, yes, they are artists. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to talk shit. Taylor Swift is an artist and what she does is incredible. What her pursuit of artistry has led her to was the byproduct of fame and, and fortune. I just hope that people who get that high in their creative endeavors uh, are still humble enough. So society has a way of painting artistry and this, this definition of what art is. Um, and you shouldn't be scared to pursue art um, because we're all creative. And we have to redefine and find and reshape the way we relate to what artistry is and what creativity is. To me, an artist is really someone who follows their heart in any form or fashion, uh, not caring what people think around them. Like that is true art. And so you could be an artist as a, as a motorcycle mechanic and doing things you're granted, like there's certain ways to do, you know, build an engine. Uh, but there are creative ways that you can build a bike, you know, and there's, there's different ways that you could customize those things. You could be creative in a medical field and there's create without creativity. We wouldn't have the innovations that we have. We're getting you know closer to, to finding cures for cancer. I just saw, I was reading a headline the other day that there's a proposed uh, cure for HIV. Incredible. And it takes creativity looking beyond what we see now and thinking about innovative ways and things that haven't been done. So everybody has a way of being creative. You can be creative in any fashion in life. You just have to pursue it and you have to prioritize that. And I can't remember, unfortunately, right now, but because of what you said before, um, it was some some doctor, I don't know. It was an article and it was about how you put in stimulus basically for your brain if you feed it with um, different kinds of information mm. and it's also about like let's say you're working and developing a virus or whatever you have a very mathematical job or whatever it is but you're feeding on the other hand on the other hand your brain was some stimulus like doing art it helps you actually to be better at the job you're doing in the end because you ha you get more information and, and different information and so i agree mm, i don't know it was always something that stuck with me And uh, I liked it about it. Like, I think uh, I think you're on onto something here. Um, I have a lot of different friends. Uh, some are artists and very creative types, and I have very by the book, very very like you know, very punctual, strict sort of people, um, and lead more of a pragmatic. I think everybody has some sort of pragmatism to them, um, mm -hmm. more of a finite sort of life, you know, calculated, mathematical, as you said. Um. And the world needs people of all different shades. You know, we're, this world is not black and white. This world is on a spectrum. Everything is on a spectrum. Everybody is on some sort of spectrum. And I don't mean that in an autistic way. Um, I mean that this world is a rainbow and we all kind of fit in differently. And we all have varying positions on this rainbow at any given time. Anyways, where I'm going is um, I have a lot of creative friends and they have a different sort of way of thinking about life that is unhibited, uh, not restricted. And that can really kind of like bother people who need finite details and are mathematic mm -hmm. and calculated. Um, I have both brains and I like to, I like to um, work on both, both of those sides. And that's where that left and the right brain sort of philosophy comes from. Right? Yeah. 
Um, And it is good to be balanced, you know, because we do live in a very finite sort of society that we have to be on point. We got to be on deadlines. That's just the way of society in 2022. But Mm -hmm. I like to let that all go sometimes and not live by restrictions. And that's where my innovations and where I get to really dig into what's inside and what's inside is not finite. It's not finite for anybody. So I always like to lean into creativity. I like keeping creative people around me, you included. That's that, that's amazing. I really, I feel the need to do more stuff now. <laughs> good, um, good. That's inspiring. <laughs> right? Um, how, how do you feel um, about like your creativity is being experienced by others? Like um, how, how do you react to criticism, criticism or, or praise? Like what emotions are involved there for you? What did you learn about yourself basically through that process? Well, it really depends on who's providing that criticism. Um, you know, I will put my art out on the limb when I want feedback. And I will go to certain people for that feedback. Um, I won't always go to friends and family because unless, unless they're very like, very honest with me. Um, a lot of the time, friends and family are going to encourage you. And that's a good thing. You know, they're not going to shoot you down and tell you exactly, you know, where you can do better. What I'll do is music. I'll go to friends, uh, friends who are other musicians because they have the ear They know exactly what I intended and can provide me constructive feedback that allows mm-hmm. me to grow. Um, my art, um, you know, drawing, a lot of my drawing, I'll take to a lot of my, my tattoo artist friends um, and really get some of their perspective on things because they have that muscle developed. They know, oh, you should probably use this color instead. I see where you're trying to go with that rather than just shit all over it because they don't know what they're talking about. Um, so when I want constructive feedback, I'll go to certain people. Now I also have a thick hide and I think that comes from doing community work too. You have to have a thick hide. Um, some people will just give you blatant, stupid feedback. Like, you know what? That sucks. Sometimes that's from their own insecurities because they're jealous. Sometimes they just don't like that kind of art. And I'm not going to take that to heart. You know what? You don't know. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, that's kind of kind of how I defend it. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, but I have to be selective with that feedback and you can't let it get at you. And when you have that negative reinforcement, it's very hard to stay in a creative groove. And that's where positive affirmations come into play. Um, I'm always t- talking shit to myself. Oh, you're not good enough. Ah, oh, that song sucked. Ah, oh, you don't know how to make knives. Come on. Wait, is it, you're not in the medieval era anymore. What are you making knives for? I'm always talking shit. And I have to remember that is not good for my creative child inside. We all have a creative child inside. And any like any child, it's, they grow into more creativity and better output with encouragement and positive affirmation. So anytime, here, here's the lesson here, is anytime you start feeling something negative, oh, I suck at this drawing. Remember, you got to tell yourself, you don't suck. You're talented. You're good. You're a good artist. You're just learning. So keep keep working at it. And I guarantee you, waking up every morning, writing in those morning pages, saying, I'm good at art. I'm talented. I'm unique. I'm not old enough. Whatever whatever your negative talk is, return it, return it and combat it with positive affirmations. I guarantee 
you'll completely change the way you approach your art and uh, approach people around you and approach your living. It's been powerful for me. Yeah, the most toxic person is always yourself, right? Oh, 100%, right? You'll mm -hmm. always be your toughest critic. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And it's it's really it's really interesting because I mean most of the stuff I created, especially when you look back, like you know when you start out with new stuff, and then you know after three years when you get better and better, and then you look back to your beginning, you think like, oh my god, that was so bad or whatever. And it's um it's it's hard to see the positive in your own stuff, especially I feel sometimes. Yeah, I mean you're an artist, right? You you have, you've been showing me some of your paintings, and <laughs> you were telling me a story <laughs> the other day where someone came over and saw a painting on the wall and mm -hmm. uh, they're like, oh my God, that's amazing. You're like, oh yeah, that's mine. What? Like, Yeah, it happens a few times now. And it took me a long time to see the goodness in that painting too. Like, uh, I think it took me about over a week. Like I had to look myself there without this judgment on myself and just, you know, let it, just enjoy what you see there and be proud of yourself. This is your first fucking painting. What what do you expect? You know, yeah. like um, it's it's interesting. So uh, look, Denny said something in the chat, and I actually had that in my mind as well. You had a band. You you built a band, right? When you were um, at EA, and he said in the chat, like, "Hey, do you have a band now at Ubisoft as well?" Um, no, so, I think so. Di the Dice Studio in LA had a, had a Dice house band. Uh, yeah. I never joined that. I actually just stole right. Oh, really? Yeah. And I thought you founded that. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was a long time going. And uh, it, 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 a little political there. Like I was on the EA side and EA is the publishing side and DICE is the studio. And so like if you're part of DICE, they kind of like like to keep the afterwork culture inclusive. So I never got involved with that band, but I stole a couple band members in order to start <laughs> my own like side thing. So um, They are good. I I'll take them. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to start an Ubi house band. That'd be fun. Is, do you see that coming now? It's, I mean, are you mostly working remote now? With wow, COVID? I'm 100% remote. Um, how, so how would you even do that? Like, is that, I, I just thought like, this is so great because if you do something like this on the side, if it's sport or doing a band or whatever with your um, um, other damn, word, not employees, thank you, co-workers, thank you. <laughs> um, This this is like a bonding as well, yeah, right? You you're on another level, and there's more connection um, with the colleagues, right? Uh, yeah, oh yeah, 100. Um, everybody in that dice band uh, were so tight with each other, from uh, Enzo Sprig, uh, Joe Shackelford. So like, dude, they rocked out Red Hot Chili Peppers and um, Rage Against the Machine covers. Uh, mm -hmm. Like Joe Shackelford would come in and just like rap over everything. And Ryan Duffin would be, would be playing bass and you'd have a couple like Steve Lynn would come in and play guitar. Like everybody was so good at their instruments and it was an op opportunity for them to connect with each other as musicians mm -hmm. and really get, and really live their creative side with their colleagues. And they, they had a human connection beyond just work and that mm -hmm. made camaraderie within the ranks and they were tighter as colleagues And they communicated on the creative level. And so with that creativity in place and working, uh, working out how to, um, how to connect with each other, they were able to take those skills into the office, you know, into mm -hmm. the, the meeting rooms when they're talking about solutions or challenges with an upcoming map or code that just has been boggling their minds. 
they were able to form a deeper connection with each other and that they were inhibited by some of the self-image that we were talking about earlier, um, some of the natural defenses that one mm-hmm. would put up in a professional setting because they want to be right. They want to find value in their expertise. I think it broke down a lot of the inhibitions and they worked closer together and they found solutions faster. So going back to your original question, hmm. am I going to start an Ubi house band? I probably should when the world starts opening up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it, I mean, you had before COVID, you were traveling a lot, right? I mean, you were basically all over the world for years. Um, yeah. Was that like this, this extreme break for you to stay at home and, Like, how was it for you personally? Was it like a gift for you because you finally could, you know, start the world? I don't know, do some things differently, look more within you, whatever. Did that trigger anything for you? It was a gift for me. Um, you know, obviously the pandemic is uh, was a very destructive, has been a very destructive past couple of years to us. And we've lost a lot of people that we love. So I'm not going to downplay that. I'm not going to say that the pandemic was good by any means. Yeah, But there was silver lining. There's always silver lining in the, some of the most heinous, disgusting things that happen in our world. And the pandemic allowed me and a lot of other people to slow down. I was, like you said, I was traveling to Stockholm once a month for four years straight. It was hard for me to remain creative and work on music. It was hard for me to maintain a relationship at that time. Um, then this pandemic hit. And everything came to a halt and I needed it. Oh my God, I needed it. Because I think before the pandemic hit, I was so I was so more um, involved and uh, focused on um, how I can contribute to a business and how I can contribute uh, to gaming, which is still important to me. Uh, but I wasn't prioritizing myself and my own mental health, my own physical health. And when the pandemic hit, kind of forced us all to take stock and inventory of what's important in life. And so I think coming out of this pandemic, just as a society, we've reprioritized. My fear is that we don't hold on to the prioritization of ourselves. Number one, I always put myself first. And the secondly, friends and family around us. I hope we hold on to that because it could, it's a slippery slope. You can get back into the before times quite easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, believe that. Um Could you dig in more into your creative side there as well? Like, would you say you have created more the last two years oh, than before? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because of the work from home environment, it has allowed me to wake up, take some time to myself and mm-hmm. hop in, do some work and then step away for an hour and do something creative and say, you know what? I've, I've done a little bit of work. I'm going to take a bet, take a little break and work on something that I need to on the side and, and remain creative. And when I have creative fulfillment in my day, I feel more productive and I feel more clear. And I come back to my work day, uh, much more pragmatic, much more logical and rational, but also in tune more with my emotions. So I, so I can think more like a person and less like a robot. And so it's important to have that balance. It's important to have balance between logical and emotional. You know, it's important to uh, have the balance of creative output during the day and and uh, uh, the finite output in the day. Now, granted, this is coming from a Libra here, and I don't know where you are mm-hmm. with astrology, but like it's, it's generalization. I kind of like you know following some of that stuff, but I am all about <laughs> balance, and uh, I will always try to find the balance in everything. 
Mm-hmm. Well, what do you consider your greatest accomplishment so far? Like, uh, mm. in point of your art, like, what are you proud of the most? Wow. I question that a lot, actually. Um, what am I most proud of? I'm, a, I'm most proud it's of that I've... That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> now, ha- have I reached my object, my goals? I, I am far from my goals. I'll tell you what my goal is first, and yes. then I'll tell you what I'm proud of. I am, My goal here with my comic book is to establish a 12-book series uh, that is rich in meta story, Easter eggs, overarching storylines with very unique characters drawn by yours truly and actually manifested in, in physical di- and digital art. So like, you know, I want to print these up and distribute it, create merchandise. And I ultimately want to animate it and get mm-hmm. some sort of a series in motion, whether it's, you know, with some animation house or, or a streaming service that for me is my end goal with, with the comics. I have an end goal with my music. Um, I'm establishing this year a new band and we want to cut an EP. So, you know, four or five song uh, album that was representative of where we want to go. And my goal is to go and record at the Blasting Room in Fort Collins, Colorado. Uh, it's run by Bill Stevenson, who was a founding member of Descendants and has recorded some of the most greatest punk rock bands of all time at that studio from face to face to rancid to That's amazing yeah now do i care to be famous no mm-hmm. i don't care to be famous all i care about is that i write something i'm proud of and i go work with someone that i've held in high esteem since my early years of listening to punk rock but you seem always have these goals like you okay. seem you have a clear destination where you want to go and then take step by step and go there what are your goals then with the knives and then with the knives, um, continue to create custom knives and send around the world. I, I hope to have my ultimate goal is to create custom order knives and partner with a a mass production company to sell more mass produced Dan Mitri knives, whatever that my brand will be, um, but still make the one offs where mm-hmm. you know those are the handmade stuff. And so I ult- I ultimately want to start a brand. And, and produce great knives and then run a company on the side with that where I have other knife makers coming in and taking awesome. my ideas and creating those and then mass producing these. But I still want to have those custom one-offs. So, so those are my big three goals, right? Mm-hmm. I'm proud. Where I'm proud in my achievement is continuing to push towards those and to see the progress. My art has taken completely new directions. I'm impressed by my art every single time that I complete a piece. I'm like, how did I do that? That's amazing. Uh, my knives, like, oh my God, I wanted to throw that all the way. I wanted to burn it and chuck it in the trash. But once I finished, I'm like, wow, that's incredible. How did I do that? Like, I feel superhuman. I don't feel like I did that. I feel like something was channeling through me that produced that. Same with music. I'm like, what? Where did, how did that happen? Where did that come from? So I'm always impressed by me doing the work, putting in the time and seeing what comes out. And uh, that there gives me satisfaction enough. If the byproduct of that is seeing my comic book being turned into an animation, seeing my knives being turned into a brand, and seeing my mm-hmm. music enjoyed by multiple other people and playing live, awesome. But if I never get there, I'm happy along the way. Is that your why? Ooh, oh, you're really getting deep here. This is like a therapy session. Sorry. <laughs> Um, no, no, the why, the why is different. 
the why is dealing with my own demons, like I said earlier. Okay. Um, I do it because that's all I know it, uh, how to live. Honestly, if I didn't, if I didn't do that, I don't feel like I'd have a purpose in life. You um, said it could bring big questions. That felt pretty big, right? That's a big question. <laughs> that was a big question. Yeah. I think the why is always a big question. It's my purpose. I, I, I just know it's my purpose in life. And for many years, I wasn't pursuing it, and I was against the grain. And I did not feel good. I didn't feel mm. useful. And I'm sorry if there's any past relationship on on the stream. If they're watching, I'm sorry. I was not in tune with myself. I'm very much more in tune now, and uh, I think it shows with the kind of people that uh, I that are magnetized to me now. Which one of your comic book characters would you be? <laughs> All of Sorry. them, all of them, honestly, all of them. Um, my comic book, uh, the main protagonist is a guy by the name of Damon Day. And he looks like me, but he's me at my core, um, like my inner child. And the characters around him, the main antagonist, which is Lucian, he's the ruler of not quite hell. He's, he's basically like <laughs> Satan is the mm -hmm. evil side of me, the one that mm -hmm. is more carnal, that is more, you know, like primal, uh, much more sexual, much more like vain, much more mm -hmm. like superficial and a little kind of shitty, mm -hmm. but um, is very well dressed, you know? So like, I kind of like personify and mm -hmm. compartmentalize the different facets of my personality and my different characters. And so one of uh, one of Damon's love interest, Val Vale, who's a demon hybrid, uh, is a, one of the spawns of Lucian, is my projection of my ideal mate. And um, all the all these different demons around in this world will be a personification of Damon working with the emotions that he has: jealousy, rage, um, uh, sadness, and approaching in a different way that has a positive outcome. So all of the characters are an extension of who I am. And I think good storytelling is digging deep and referring to your own life experiences because people relate to life experiences. Doesn't that make it more authentic? 100%. I was just, I just thought. 100%. Yeah, it does make mm -hmm. it more authentic. It also makes it very vulnerable to put yourself out there, to write a story around who you are, to draw and personify I mean, yourself. I mean, if you wouldn't have it said it, nobody would have known, nope. right? <laughs> only, the, only people on the stream now, know. <laughs> yeah, now, now I would probably watch it and then thinking like, okay, this is the weird end in all of it, <laughs> compressed, you know? Um, that's super interesting. Um, why can I hear myself now? Uh-oh. Something switched. All right, I just tried to ignore it. I got a lot of people, um, good people here in the chat. I see Heath. Oh, I miss you too, Heath. Yeah, yeah guys. Also, um, I don't know how the what. What about the time? We're hitting the the hour. We have the to hour. Stress. Uh, I got another thirty minutes. I think that'd be a good. Is that okay? Yeah, let's okay, do that. Thank you so much. Hey guys, if you have any questions, just put them in the chat as well. Uh, I hope you guys are doing great so far and you enjoy the podcast. Um. Let me dig into another question for you, Craig. I'm so sorry. I feel bad for Pan right now in the background because I switched around my originally original 
script here so much. And I'm confused myself. Ah, yeah. Um, this is actually, I think this is something we are, I mean, everyone here basically in the chat I see is 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 a creative person. Yep. Uh, Broken Machine is here. Danny is here. You all are so creative in your own way. Fergan is here. Um, are you striving to be unique in your creative endeavors or... Um, is it like, because, I mean, on the one hand, you said it's about, you know, I need to be productive. I need to keep going. And then the other side is that we are watching ourselves, like, I could do better. So um, can you explain how you look at it? Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that That's always been a challenge for me. And, and I think in my early creative uh, endeavor and pursuit, one of my negative self-loathing comments was, you're not unique. There's, you're not doing anything new and different. Your music is like every other fucking punk rock band out there. Uh, your art is is not good enough, and you're just stealing ideas. Um, you know, your your knives like there's been plenty of other knives that look like your knives. Um, so for a long time, I was telling myself like you're not doing anything unique. Honestly, art is a process, and art is basically stealing other ideas. There's nothing new under the sun, but taking mm -hmm. that and styling, stylizing in a way that you like, and that's where your own unique personality comes through. There's another book that um, I'd like to uh, encourage oh, people yeah. to read. It's called Steal Like an Artist. And that kind of, that basically kind of addresses that is it's okay to steal ideas. It's okay, not plagiarism. I'm not talking plagiarism. I'm talking taking ideas and then building on those and modifying them in a way that is unique to your style. And that's the way art has always been. You think Michelangelo, you think, you know, uh, Dolly and, and Picasso were completely unique and never took inspiration from anybody around them? Hell no. They were inspired by the greats before them. There's a beautiful movie called Midnight in Paris with Owen Wilson <laughs> Um, that kind of talks about that is like we romanticize these earlier uh, creative uh, mega mega beasts, you know, these these people who like completely broke the trends um, and you feel like you can never do anything like that, truly unique like that. But you have to remember now it's all about the now. Now is the creative time to live in. And yes, be inspired by people. Steal some ideas from Michelangelo, from Dolly, from Picasso, but take those and modify them to the point where you put your own creative twist on things. And if you continue to do that, if you do that week over week, starts turning into month over month, starts turning into year over year, your style will start to come out and you will have something unique. Absolutely. It, it reminds me actually of uh, how I started my photography career. And at the beginning, I... I had no issue actually with copying other artists. I actually did it on purpose. For example, you know this, everyone knows this painting of that woman sitting there. Um, does she have an apple in her hand? I'm not sure. Oh no, the, the girl with the earring, with the one earring. I think it's even called that painting. Mm. Was a painting from the night. It doesn't matter. So I tried to recreate that painting into my photography. And I did that a lot actually, because if you look at painters, they have a very good eye for light. And I, for me, the most fascinating thing was how can I create everything with light so I don't have to put much into post-production. I wanted to create the picture as I'm shooting it. So this was always kind of my goal, my thing. 
Um, and just by doing this over and over again, like taking other pictures as an example and trying to recreate this light they had in that scene helped me to understand more about light itself. And then I could create in the end my own stuff with it, what I learned. So I, I really think that uh, that is a very interesting point there you got there and it's very important and people shouldn't be holding off in like I could be more creative. It's more about, like you said, doing it over and over again and then developing your own skill, your own view on things you don't have that from the beginning because that's the other thing what everyone tells you if you do something artistic find your own style and i think this is some sometimes people they're afraid of that because they can't give you an answer straight away it's like but i don't know who i am yep you know yeah and find um, your own style i'm trying like that's a tall order to fill i think you don't have to have a creative bone in your body what you do need and I think the number one trait that separates an aspiring artist from anybody else is curiosity. Always mm -hmm. be curious. Always try to dig into something you don't know about or find something that you're passionate about and just be curious about it and be truly, if you're enamored by something, why wouldn't you pursue it? You know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that yeah. curiosity drives innovation and it drives you to find different areas within your own mind and relating to the world around you in ways that you never have, you know, you know, you brought up a uh, lighting. Um, you find things that you are good at when you start mm -hmm. to do the work. When I mean do the work, it's actually sitting down, bringing up your typewriter, your keyboard, writing, drawing, bringing up your pencil and your notepad, sketching. When you start doing the work, the universe has a way to say, okay, cool. I'm going to work within you and you're going to find something that, that uh, you didn't know before, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I started drawing many, many years ago, um, I always found intrigue in, in lighting. I love shadows. I love highlight work. I wasn't mm -hmm. a big fan of like original ideas, but I leaned into copying some original, some like Spider-Man. I'd, I'd read, I'd trace Spider-Man because I was at that time, I wasn't good at like creating something of my own, but I would then put in my own lighting, my own shading. And from out of that, my own style developed. So I want to share a link with, uh, with everybody in chat. And I'm really proud of uh, Val Vale here. Look at the lighting and the shadow work. And it was the lighting and the shadow work that I had in the back of my mind. I think, I'm not sure if you can post the link. Sh send me the link on Discord quick and I post it there. Oh, shoot. You're right. Okay. I'll put it on Discord. I'm sorry. We have it off. Here we go. Um. The reason why I bring this up is I was curious about how I can approach a backlit sort of uh, scene that imposes its glowing light on the world around them and uh, how I would backlight a character and then have the glow on different forefront uh, objects. And out of that was birthed this idea. And so mm -hmm. I was curious about something that I was good at. And then through that, I was able to develop something very unique. So sometimes all you need is just that little tiny element, a little nudge and push of curiosity to really explore something. And like, I'm super proud of this and I can't wait to see what I'm going to do next, you know? Mm -hmm. But I think you're really right about the muscle. In the end, it's really like more like you need to create the habit of being creative, I guess, in a way. Um, thank you. Exactly. Now there's the link. Thank you. Cool. Um, let me try and put it here quick. Sure. Damn it. So there you go, guys. There's a link. 
Um, so let me jump right into where are the questions that right. Um, um, let the, I, yeah, yeah, the community questions. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh yeah. We have lots of questions coming in, huh? Um, let me start with a white time because he was the first I saw him here. Um, are you back, Pan? Do you have the question from Walter? Ah, yeah. He said, what's the biggest challenge when trying to make, um, trying to manage community expectations and how does rising or overwhelming, overwhelming expectations affect his team? Um, I think that's a big question, especially what's going on right now in the battlefield scene. But I think probably at Ubisoft with Rainbow Six Siege, you have that issue there as well sometimes in other games when it's getting a little bit heated, right? Yeah, so let me, let me reread this question here. You said, what, what's some good uh, advice? For what's the biggest challenge when trying to manage community expectations and how does rising or overwhelming expectations affect the team? I mean, you know, you're in the middle. Yeah, yeah. So so it, where I'm at right now, uh, I'm a director at Ubisoft. And uh, this means that I'm not in the trenches anymore. I, I've spent... 15 to, to 16 years in the trenches being a community manager where uh, I met a lot of the people here on the stream because of it. And I'm very thankful for that. You know, Fergun met her through Battlefield, met you through um, through our gaming, uh, Danny on PC through Battlefield, mm -hmm. a lot of people through Battlefield. Um, and I was in those trenches. So now I'm a director and I'm actually leading a team of about 35 people who are in the trenches. And I'm using my expertise of successes, of challenges, of takeaways and, and failures, uh, and leading them through their own success. Now, we do have high expectations. Um, we're a AAA company. We have massive releases. Uh, we're working on one this year that's going to be huge for the industry. And there's a lot of expectation to be successful there, to perform uh, a, a well, um, and to obviously sell units. Um, but to create retention within our communities. And that is done through communications, you know, being very transparent between studio, the business teams and our players and bringing that feedback into production teams. So how do we manage those high expectations? Well, I think it's being uh, transparent internally, uh, talking about our challenges and being collaborative in solutions, especially in a, in, in a publishing or, or studio environment. I think a lot of people have tendency to um, um, uh, champion themselves and their own endeavors and forget that we're all a team. And when a game is successfully launched and is received well, we all win. Um, inner politics can kind of get in the way of that, right? Um, but it's also a function of listening to our players and, and ensuring that all of our decisions that we make are player first that the player is at the center of our universe. So if we're working collaboratively internally with our partners and saying, this is a team effort, I, it, I don't care to personally win. I care that we all win. That will mean mm -hmm. that we're open to more collaboration. And when we put the players at the center of our universe, this is the ultimate reason why we're creating these digital experiences, why we're communicating these on social and why we're taking feedback then I think it's easier to maintain the expectation of successful rollout and properly setting up the tools and environments in which people feel heard and they feel valued and they feel respected. So hope that's kind of answers your question there. 
yeah, I hope wild time that answers your question there. Um, then we had here bloody say bloody slayer saying, and I like actually that. Oh no, it's switching. No, there it is still. What have you? What have been the most creative way you have received feedback from any game? That's hmm. a very interesting question. Most creative actually. way I have received feedback on any game. I think funny, maybe even. Well, I, I'm I'm thinking of answering this in two different ways, and maybe I will. Um, I think there's internal and then there's uh, reception. So internally, uh, one of one things I'm really proud of is a program that we kicked off at EA called Game Changers. And it started initially at Tiburon for the Madden franchise, where we brought in five or six super hardcore Madden players uh, mm -hmm. to sit in front of our producers, executive producers, um, game balancers, and, and, and you know, roster updaters, all, all the, the dev team and provide their feedback directly to um, our developers. And that uh, allowed for um, allowed for direct feedback that was kind of, somewhat unbiased by not filtering it through someone else or a third-party agency that put all that information together is direct to the source. And I thought that was a very innovative and creative way of, of bringing players into the mix. And so we, we actually leaned into that more and we put in millions of dollars to fuel that program through uh, other franchises like Battlefield, Sims, um, uh, Battlefront, like all of EA's biggest titles got it. And it, it truly innovated the industry. And now you see other companies mimicking that. And that's what we're doing over at Ubisoft too, is bringing more players into the mix um, and providing great feedback. So internally, I think that was one of the, a very creative solution to getting feedback directly from those who play our games. And then the second part of that question is externally. <laughs> I, I, when people love our games, Fergun, for example, incredible mm -hmm. screenshot artist. Um, mm -hmm. You have a couple people like Burdu, who who's now at- uh, Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, he's, he's now at Dice, but like mm -hmm. he and two Scotsmen, uh, mm -hmm. incredible videography and creating amazing mm -hmm. cinematics uh, trailers around of our games. That is a creative way of saying, I like your game so much that mm -hmm. I'm going to spend my own time and hours and weekends and, and time away from family creating these beautiful Vista screenshots to uh, cinematic trailers. That's a beautiful, amazing creative way of getting feedback on a game, you know? And mm -hmm. within that, and I'll end at this point, was um, because people like Fergun and Two Scots and Burdu were using our our in-game lighting tools, you know, some of mm -hmm. our BF cinematic tools, uh, we were able to take that and apply changes to those to make it even more powerful. So that way they can manipulate rain, different weather effects, different lighting effects. Uh, and that was, again, mm -hmm. a way to creatively provide feedback on that experience. So keep it up. Keep, creators, please keep it up. Well, they wish they could now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right, well. Well, hopefully it's coming back. You know, mm -hmm. you never know. But right now, unfortunately, we don't have the tools anymore. Um, what is the best advice anyone ever gave to you? I'm actually curious about that because I, I did you even have like a, a kind of a mentor person in your life that helped you to develop your skills? Hmm. Um, I've had a lot of mentors in my life. Um, and I leverage... 
I leverage mentors for different things that I need done in my life. So in gaming career, uh, one of my biggest mentors has been Chris Mansell. Um, I've worked with him for the past uh, 17 years of my career. We've jumped around different companies together. Um, he, he's the one that literally pulled me out of the QA pit uh, and gave me my first job in community. And that was us working at Sierra Online, which is a mm -hmm. small online uh, division uh, before Activision Blizzard merged and, and, and assimilated it. We jumped around. We went to uh, THQ together. We were at EA together. I split off and went to Sega for a while. Now we're back here at Ubisoft. He's always been uh, one of my professional mentors who's guided me through best practices, um, who has led me through inner politics and how to navigate uh, diplomacy within a, a corporate environment to get stuff done. Uh, you know, so in, in the video game world, there's a lot kind of going back here to what we've all been talking about is yeah. there is the war of creativity versus finite possibilities. And that's a lot of resource management and budget and time. And we have to manage that in order to see the best creative output. So Chris has really helped me through that. Um, but in terms of my own creative journey, I find, I find, uh, uh, confidence and leaning into advice with other creative people around me. And they don't have to be incredibly successful. I, like, I don't care if you're successful as long as you're passionate about it. Um, and I find that even you, like you've been a great mentor in a lot of different ways that you may not know. Just your curiosity <laughs> and creativity has got me questioning about my own creativity. And so there's an indirect effect here of mm -hmm. me talking about it with you that is like, man, I really like Mizzy's curiosity and it gets me kind of thinking about things. Um, and then the, I think the last thing I'll say is, um, my mother, my mother has been very inspiring for me. Uh, she's always been a creative type. And even now she's coming up into her seventies and she's still doing creative things that blow my mind. Like she's painting, she's making quilts, she's making her own woodworking tools to do different other woodworking things. Uh, she's always pushing herself even in her older age, to continue to be curious and creative. And I'm like, ah, that's where I get it. I get a lot from my mom. So uh, there's so many great, innovative, and inspiring people around you. You just have to listen. You just got to open up your ears and your eyes. Just reminds me again of this um, um, the statistic I saw about which population in the world gets the oldest and why. And Japanese people actually get the oldest because they keep learning and they age and be curious about learning new things. Um, and again, I think it's about brain activity. I mean, if you look to Western society, what do you do? You work till you, I don't know, 65, 70. And then most people, I saw it with my dad, they fall into this hole and he seems to not getting out of this because he had nothing besides his work. And well, he's doing nothing anymore. It's really sad. Um, and my mom is the same as yours. She's like always doing new stuff and is on the move. And she's even older than my dad, you know, and she's like always dancing around and trying to do new things, even though she has, you know, of course, because of her age, multiple body problems, you know, but it's not holding her back. There's always this drive in her. Um, so I think that's very inspiring. If you just look around yourself, you know, what's going on, you can learn from every person around you. Yeah. If you just keep listening, I guess, and be present and aware. 
I, I think you nailed it is when we, when we give up on being curious, when we give up on pursuing growth and, and finding new passions in life, uh, we kind of just give up on a purpose. And, you know, what's the point of waking up the next day when everything that you leaned on around you is gone? You know, if all you had was work and now you're retired, not talking any, any bad ill will on your father. Um, but if that then is removed, what's the point of waking up? That was your motivator. So my biggest fear, Mizzy, is that, uh, <laughs> is two things, is that I don't, I will not get to grow old and continue pursuing my art because of my, my body. Like if my body fails me. Um, but I think mind has a way over matter and your mind is a very powerful tool. Uh, and I think being in a positive, uh, state and, and, and ensuring that you have more positive energy in your coffer was linked to, uh, health is, is linked to good physical health. Um, stress is a number one killer, like stress and anxiety will kill mm -hmm. quicker than cigarettes and booze and all that. Like mm -hmm. I say that loosely, I'm not a scientist. Okay. But, <laughs> but stress does raise cortisol levels and it has a very bad yeah. negative impact on you. So I, my two fears are growing old, too old. And my body fails me that I can't be curious anymore. And number two, um, that I lose curiosity, but mm -hmm. I kind of feel like I've got advantage on all these, right? I'm trying to stay positive. I'm super curious and I've got mm -hmm. some big goals and I can't wait to see what happens when I reach those goals, what my new goals are going to be. What are some things that are still on your bucket list you want to do? I'm oh, curious man. now because I know you're this restless person who is afraid of, you know, did I live enough in my life? You know, I need to do more things. So what's out there you didn't do yet? Um, I still, I love traveling. Um, I haven't been to, uh, Southeast Asia. Um, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I definitely want to go out there. So I want to travel the world. I want to see all the countries in the world. Um, love, I think love's a big one. You know, I'd really like to, uh, I'd like to ultimately have a life partner that's there through the thick and thin. Um, that's harder to find these days than anything. I feel like, <laughs> uh, good luck sometimes, especially with our very flippant, tender, instant gratification society. That's not what I'm here for. Like I want something deeper, um, and something that some that encouraged me artistically and mm -hmm. someone who's also in a creative uh, vein. Um, so that's, I would say another goal. Um, and I guess the other bucket list would be something that's not, maybe not attainable in my life, but going to space. Like I am so. That's on mine too. Everyone really? looks at me like crazy. Why do you want to do that? I'm like, this is my, one of my, I even made, <laughs> I even made a vision board and it's, it's me in space. <laughs> Dude, right? Like the cosmos are so crazy. Like there's so much mm -hmm. out there we don't know about. And I would, yeah. I'd love just to be in orbit around this earth. If Elon would ask me, you want to go to Mars? I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally up for that. Take I'm ready. Me. I'm, I'm going there. I'm ready, man. I take some nice pictures there. <laughs> You've seen the expanse though, right? Get ready for like, war because we'll probably end up getting uh, war with earth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. You watch too much expense. <laughs> we just jump, jump later in there. Oh, no, look at I, He's like, I've been watching expense. Makes me want to go to space as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Tim, I'm so sad. Latest season is over already again. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Damn. I didn't know that. 
Did I interrupt you? Were there coming more? Space? You had space? No. What else is there? No. no that's I, it? I, that's the big ones. I think space. those are my, my three big ones. Yeah. Space, right. love, and travel. Um, the, it, you know why I say those? Because I think um, I think those, th those three things are kind of out of my hands. There's a certain mm -hmm. point where like I can push it to a certain point, but there's other people involved, right? Travel. Well, space, you need enough money. Space. Travel. Or you need some sort of phallic type ship because you own the world through your online distribution service. If you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, I guess. To love, you know, like that's another person that's involved and travel. Like this whole pandemic has been not great on the travel uh you know pursuit well do you really think that will ever go away i feel on some point you just need to accept it and then yeah well choose wisely i guess and be careful i'm not sure i'm not sure i'm not sure what to do about it anymore because it feels like it's a never-ending story well i mean you know there's a societal pressure of doing what's right and uh keeping the transmissions rates low Oh, yeah, you of know? course. So like when things are locked down, I don't push it, you know, but when they're mm -hmm. not, I wear my mask. I make sure I'm vaxxed and I'm boosted and whatever else comes through. I'm doing my mm -hmm. part in the solution here. Um, but when the opportunity to travel does arise, I jump on it. So I've started traveling uh, about mid last year, um, started with domestic travel. I was going up and down the eastern seaboard here with the Philly and um, uh, Virginia, a couple other places. Went to Paris last uh, back here in December, which was incredible. Uh, talk about a creative city right there. Holy shit. You can't come out thinking like, I'm on top of the world. I can do anything I want to. Um, so I found ways to travel still. And um, things aren't looking too hot right now. But I hope that, mm -hmm. like, I just hope that everybody does what they need to so we can get over the shit already. Yeah. Yeah, we have to wait a little bit and then look back and then we know what we did right and well, I feel. Yeah. Nothing is black and white, remember? Nothing <laughs> is black and white. Um, Golden Eagle, before you jump out, I don't know if, um, did Pan, did you save his question? He had a question quick and I can't remember it, unfortunately, and I can't, oh, can I scroll up? Let Should me scroll? scroll up on this other one. Um, uh... I don't want to be rude and still pick up the question quick. He said, question to Dan, if possible. Wait, not to me. Why not to me? <laughs> How excited are you regarding your plans uh, in Ubisoft? Ooh, or... very, uh, very excited. I'm very excited. So, um, <laughs> you know, uh, my position now is not necessarily tied to a single brand or, or a community, right? Um, mm -hmm. And in the past, I was very excited about launching a game and sharing that with the world and uh, creating a community. So now I get to do that times 30, you know, across all of our brands by working with our community managers and community developers at Ubisoft. So what I'm most excited is, is seeing us on the path to where I want to be five years from now and being very proficient in three different areas that we're focused on is content. How can we tell better stories on our channels? Um, by use of our game updates, patches, uh, community happenings, great UGC. And that means that we need to be in tune with what our community is saying, what they need, but also develop the skills to create great posts and videos and, and uh, assets ourselves. Secondly, is where are we going to be five years from now with creating better games and services at Ubisoft? Uh, how do we take the voice of the player? and ensure that our marketers, our brand developers, 
our and our product or, or our studio developers uh, take that into consideration when they're making decisions. And that's bringing data to the table, irrefutable data that could be around sentiment. It could be around, you know, preferences and game features and uh, co-development sort of tools. And then the third, I, I hope to see us in five years is operating in some of the most best, uh, best practices and standards that the industry has ever seen. So if I could develop a team of community developers and managers at Ubisoft that then gets so much recognition in the community or in the industry that people are like, I'm a community professional, I want to be at Ubisoft, mm-hmm. then I've done my job. So very lofty goals, but I think we've got a very talented team that's going to help us get there. That's amazing. Um, just for the for the end here, do you remember you sent me once a book? Also, was also was it the Art of War? No, what was it oh, again? Yes, here I'm going to send you the link. And I, th- I think this was a great book as well. Maybe you want to mention it quick. And um, yes, we talked about that so, because I mean, what you do, I, I figured like um, what you do is you really try to get the most out of your community managers to be the most creative person. I feel like what what do you do which is not like visible, but that helps you to get the most out of your team working for you. Okay. So I'll, I'll address that. Then we'll go back to the, the art. Yeah. The thank you. Of art. Um, yeah. I've wrestled with that over the years and I've approached it different ways. And, and I, I want to say within the past year and a half, I've approached it a way that has seen uh, so much more results. Previously, I was approaching management and leadership in a way That was, hey, I have the experience, I know what I'm doing, and here's a certain way to do it. Just follow my way, and you're going to be fine. I think that's still important as we roll out best practices. There are a certain way that you pull strategy together. There's a certain way that you pull data to understand your audience. There's a certain way that you execute a post in order to hit algorithms a certain way in order to get the most views on something. Okay, Those are the finites. But at the core of everything we do, at the core of our player, At the core of all of our development teams and our community teams are people. And it's the human connection that's most important. So I put human connection first in all my leadership conversations. And I truly connect with everybody at a personal level. And I truly do care about their social life. I care about their balance. I care about their happiness. And me being invested in who they are, not what they do, has made a profound change of the way people show up to work. Because they feel valued. They feel uh, accepted and they feel that they're or whatever they choose to show me is respected and recognized. And so from there, as long as we have a human connection, we understand why we're here, what we're doing, and that we can be vulnerable with each other and we can raise challenges together. We can fail together. Then that's going to open up the tools and the and the road to being successful together. So I've completely changed the way I approach leadership. And it's much more human, one-on-one oriented rather than the skills and the proficiencies, which can be developed later. Hmm. Like, like, like Dwarf King said, connection creates respect and loyalty. Absolutely. Uh, and that's a two-way street. Uh, so going back to the War of Art, um, so another supplemental uh, book, if you check out, I believe Pun just posted that here, in, or maybe you did, Mizzy. Um, this is a much shorter read. Um, and it's, uh, by a gentleman, Stephen Pressfield. Um, uh, he, uh, he's done a lot of, uh, work in entertainment, I believe it in Hollywood as well. And, uh, he approaches 
our creative blockages in a certain way as well. Much it's very spiritually driven, and when I say spiritual, I don't mean like religious. I'm I'm talking, yeah. you know, inner voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're always at a at a war of art. And one of the biggest things that I pulled from his book was our resistance as a creative type, as an artist. There is resistance around us all the time, and that keeps us away from fulfilling our divinity, and that is pursuing art. Resistance comes from a, a lot of different ways. People being negative, uh, people being jealous, people talking shit about what you're doing, people wanting more of your time and not respecting your creative needs, a bad relationship, um, a needy child that 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 needs to calm down, um, a work that's asking for 16 hours of your day. Um, you know, there's a lot of different resistance and that all starts to boil down to you being tired. And then you wake up the next morning, you're like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go draw. I don't want to go write. Um, and you have to get over these resistance because the resistance is what keeps you back from your creative fulfillment. So I would say check out that book. It's a shorter read. It is, um, it's, it's, it's definitely cerebral. It's definitely spiritual as well. And I, I'd be interested to see what you take out of it, Missy, if you're able to mm-hmm. read it. Cause I think we all have. Yeah, I definitely, it. I still have it on my list. I have it. I still haven't read it yet mm. because I was uh, t- uh, telling you about another book. I read that time, but I still need to read it, but it's stuck on my mind. And I think that what most stuck to my mind was really that um, you use other ways to approach with your colleagues and, and the people who are working for you. And this has a reason, I guess, and it comes really down really from the experience of, you know, how can I be creative, especially like in a job where you say it's about communication, but you want to connect people or groups together, right? Right. So I, I think that's very interesting um, to, I think we have only time for one last question here. And I bring up Hans' question here quick. Is there anything you have learned from EA that you would like to implement at Ubisoft um, that has there been a process at UE that you thought that would have been nice to have had at EA? Um, yeah, I don't know if you can answer that question. Uh... I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot that I, okay. I I can't say anything out of (laughs) confidentiality, obviously. Um, Honestly, what I'm doing now is taking a lot of what I learned at EA and applying here at Ubisoft, but it's in a different, completely different environment. So um, what I think I'm going to, I'm going to address that question in a way that is somewhat indirect, but uh, still hits the nail on the head. Uh, EA, the culture there was completely different from Ubisoft. You know, EA is American, is very American culture. Uh, mm-hmm. And the American culture is uh, work hard, get it done, no excuses, here's your budget, figure it out, win, win together um, with little margin for failure or error, but move on if you do. Uh, mm-hmm. But we want the best of the best. And I think that's what separates EA. EA is a, a, is a awesome company. And I still have a lot of friends who are over there, a lot of leaders who are doing things incredibly well. And I respect EA. I respect their their perspective on uh, the video game business and the industry. Um, yeah, we all make some interesting decisions over, over time. Uh, but I think they're creating awesome experiences, clearly. You know, we all play EA games. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's that American tenacity that I like to pull over to Ubisoft but I need to adapt it in a way that blends American and French work culture. 
because Ubisoft is very French and that, that work culture is completely different. Um, the way I could put it over there is um, it's much more family friend, like friend of family oriented. Uh, so when you're in the halls of Ubisoft and you've been accepted, you're part of the family. And you have to remember that, that as a family, everybody has a voice and everybody has some sort of stakeholdership in a decision. And so you need to go the extra mile to make sure that everybody has a say in a decision or a campaign or some sort of business uh, proposal. Uh, and so you can't approach it like an American of, nope, this is what we're going to do. I don't care what you say. Mm-hmm. Let's make it. Let's do it because I'm the leader here. Um, so I'm taking those principles of getting shit done but working it in a way that is much more human connection, much more uh, family oriented uh, because the French work culture is I work to live. I don't live to work, you know, and I really Mm -hmm. respect that about Ubisoft and allows all of us at Ubisoft to have that better work-life balance. So um, it's interesting that that is, I mean, you're still uh, in North America working, mm -hmm. but the spirit still applies for over there. I mean, Ubisoft was founded in in France, but mm-hmm. they are now now in Stockholm. There are, I think, at ten different places in the world or something. Um, and everywhere, this this way of life, way of work, kind of uh, is implemented through the mother company. Well, well yeah, I mean, um, yeah. So, so you know, Paris is the the headquarters. You know, the mm-hmm. whole company yeah. was founded is still operated by Eve Gimo. Um, and there's still a lot of uh, uh, family connected to Ubisoft or around that family. Um, but there are satellite studios and there's other publishers. Like I'm here in North Carolina. We have Montreal uh, yeah. studio. We have Toronto. We have uh, San Francisco. And so, yeah, you have this world phenomenon of all these different cultures meeting together. But we have a culture, Ubi, that, um, that, that accepts everybody but has a certain way of doing business. Mm, yeah, and we have to get on board with that if we want to be successful. I love it. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. Is there any last thing you'd like to say uh, before we end it here? Is there anything we missed out? We should have asked you. No, I Did mean, I think we, we covered co- quite a wide gamut of questions. Right? Um. I think I think my my takeaway. I hope everybody takes away is uh, be curious. Just remain curious. Mm-hmm. If you have any creative inkling in you, don't be afraid to pursue it. You're gonna have road. You're gonna have bumps along the way. You're gonna have resistance when you start pursuing what's your calling. Uh, some things like to get in the way to stop you from from achieving that. Um, but mm-hmm. stay steadfast. Keep your goal in mind. And don't compromise for anything else. Love that. Beautiful words for the end, I think. Yeah. But also, <laughs> uh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. For no, coming. thank you. No, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> no, really, thank you for being here. Um, I really love that. I love talking about this. I, I think this is the topic we normally just scratch little bit and we try to go a little bit deeper today in that into that and i really love that at seeing the other demetrius today within you um because that's what we do right we look at a profile on twitter and see like this person is has this or that title or that position so that's a person no it's not there's so much more to us you know yeah um and this is what i really wanted to to do today and to show so thank you again for giving us the chance to see that other side of you or the other sides so,